102.7 ESPN Studios in Austin, Texas. This is the Jeff Ward Show. Hey, welcome to our little show. Here's the way it works. I riff on stuff and you react. The phone numbers, you'll need them. 512-834-1027. That's 512-834-1027. You can follow me on Twitter or X or whatever we call it this week. I'm at Jeff Ward Show. That's at Jeff Ward Show. You can also post comments, and you should. Just get to it. And all I ask is that you not suck. Get straight to the point. Make the show better if you can. That's at Jeff Ward Show. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Check it out each day. We post a podcast every single afternoon. Get the Jeff Ward Show podcast wherever you download your podcasts. Subscribe to the YouTube channel as well. Just click on the button. It's pretty straightforward. There's a host that looks like Shrek sitting there, but it seems to be doing pretty well. That's the Jeff Ward Show on YouTube. On Mondays, I like to bring a sense of reality to a lot of the overreactions from the weekend, and there's a lot of them. Um, In fact, it's like a tidal wave of overreactions today from what I've heard. So I call this overreactions versus reality. So let's go. Uh, overreaction. Actually, overre- two overreactions. Two overreactions to the Dallas Cowboys loss to Philadelphia. Number one, the Cowboys choked again. Number two, Dak Prescott is the problem again. Those are the two overreactions. You can almost, you could sense that as soon as the game ended. The Cowboys choked again. Or Cowboys face painters would say, see, this stuff always happens to us. The other part is, oh, yeah, and it's Dak Prescott's fault. Reality. What's popular to do is to always rip Dallas. It's, it's trendy almost. It's easy to do because you just say the same two things all the time. That's what I hear. So I'm going to do it first just so we can satisfy everyone and say, yeah, yeah, that's what we like. We just like to we don't want to rip on Dallas. Okay, so I'll do that first, sort of, sort of. Uh, It's the easy thing to do, so here it goes. My criticism of the organization, my criticism is really of Jerry Jones for not making a deal for a red zone asset. There's a new term for you. Throw that one around. I just came up with that. Um, I had this take, by the way, that Jerry Jones made a mistake during the free agency window. I had that take before Dallas lost in Philadelphia, and I still have that take. Although I would admit to you that I don't know that they're quite as desperate after watching them lose to Philadelphia on Sunday as I thought they were going to be. But right now is the moment where you want to hear the host rip the Cowboys, so that's mine. Jerry Jones needed to make a move. Um, I think the window is closing on the franchise. I think you should go all in right now. Uh, I said this before they played Philadelphia. And the most crucial area his team needed help was in the red zone, inside the 20. He needs a red zone closer, whatever I said before, a red zone asset. That's a big back. It's going to get to the end zone or it's a tight end. I said that a week ago. I'll say it again today, although I'm not as quite as committed to it today. So that's it. Wait, Jeff, that's ripping them? Yeah, that's all I got. Because I think everyone's wrong. The reality. 
Dallas didn't choke at all. In fact, I will argue with everyone and say Dallas did just the opposite of choke. They were inches, and that's not an exaggeration. They were inches from winning. They were inches from a go-ahead touchdown, and they were then inches away from converting a crucial two-point play that that would have put them within three points. And yes, they would have kicked for the tie, and yes, Brandon Aubrey, who hasn't missed all year, would have made it. And yes, I think Dallas would win in overtime. I don't think they did anything wrong. They were really inches, shockingly close, inches from winning that game against probably the best team in the NFL on the road. And it was really of no mistake, no fault. It was just good defensive play. They were inches from, at worst case, going to overtime. So what did Dallas do wrong? Not much. Oh, they lost. I know. Not much. They didn't do much wrong. They really played well. I know it's not cool to say. They outgained the Eagles by more than 100 yards on the road. They had 406 yards in offense against one of the two or three best defenses in all of football. They had 406 yards. They had almost six yards of play against a defense that is, I think, the best secondary in the NFL. Dak Prescott had 333 yards passing and no turnovers against arguably the best secondary in the NFL. Jalen Hurts, arguably one of the best four quarterbacks in the NFL, had 183. Dallas continued to put themselves in position to win. I know, I know what you're going to say. I mean, but they didn't. I get it. Again, I'll get to that in just a second. But they continually put themselves in position. To win. And we're really inches away. It's unreal. Um, On two separate occasions, they're within inches of winning once, tying, and then I think ultimately going on to win another time. So if you want to find fault, let's hear it. I'd like to hear it. Because I think it's going to be the same stuff. I think people are just going to go back to the same old story. Well, they choke because they always choke. Well, yeah, they don't win very many big games. They didn't win a big game last night. You're right. Dak Prescott is the problem. Could somebody spin that one for me today? The guy had 333 yards against one of the best defenses in the league on the road. So I, I, I'm waiting to hear the fault other than the standard cliches. The difference between Dallas and Philadelphia, and it really is inches. It is. I don't know how anyone with an objective eye, anyone that has a clue in watching football, I don't know how you could say the difference between those two teams is unbelievably small. It really is those inches away from Dallas scoring a touchdown and or Dak Prescott converting a two-point play. Dallas was 3 of 5 in the red zone. Philadelphia was 3 of 3. There's the difference. There's the difference. And uh, by the way, I think that tush-push should be and will be outlawed next season. But 3 of 5 is not terrible. It's really not. In fact, they were inches away from being four or five. Philadelphia has A.J. Brown, and he's slightly better than C.D. Lamb. There's another difference. These differences are really, really slight, and I don't know how you could have any other takeaway. Am I saying that Dallas is really good? Yes, I am saying that. And I don't know how somebody couldn't see it themselves. 
Dallas outplayed Philadelphia, but Philadelphia closed. And if you want to find a difference between franchises, if you want to find a difference, you know, if everybody likes to go to this whole cultural thing, if you do want to find a real difference, because man for man, talent for talent, what's on the field isn't that far off. It's not. What you saw yesterday in Dallas versus Philadelphia is exactly reality. This time of year in the NFL, there is separation. You're now seeing who can really play, who's really good, and you saw it yesterday in Philadelphia. The difference between the two teams, the difference between the franchises is that Philadelphia team can close. They just can close. They just win. Tell me those two teams aren't among the best in the NFL right now. Tell me. I, I, I want to hear, hear the reasoning, too. So Philadelphia is just different because they can close. They know how. You're right. If you, they know how to win. They know how to win a game by inches. They come out on top. Dallas does not. That's the difference. And it's not very far apart. The big question now is how much does the brutal, exhausting loss take out of Dallas? That I don't know the answer to, and that's going to be interesting to see because they threw a lot out there. When you last looked, Dak Prescott is running into people, getting knocked at, he's doing flips over people trying to score. They put a lot into that game. That has to be exhausting. I don't know how much that takes out of Dallas, and it may take quite a bit out of Philadelphia. Dallas gets Philadelphia again, and they also get Detroit, Miami, and Buffalo. So they're not going to win the East. They're not going to get one of those top two seeds. That's pretty clear. Numerically, this was a disaster for Dallas. Stylistically, it was a showcase for Dallas. Uh, reality about Dak Prescott, right? When in doubt, see Jeff, he blew it. Reality, no, he didn't. He wasn't the problem. In fact, Dallas didn't really have a problem. There wasn't a problem. He was excellent. He was as honestly, he was as good as I've seen Dak Prescott. He's moving around like a young Dak Prescott. He is making good decisions unlike any other game that I've seen from Dak Prescott, and that is against one of the three best defenses in the NFL. The guy is trying to score one time, and he took two dudes on, and they flipped him on his head, and he popped up and went back to the line of scrimmage. He's, he's outrunning guys to the pylon to get a two-point play. He was relentless. He wasn't perfect. Did he miss some guys? Yes. In fact, he missed a wide-open tight end in the last play of the game. But there is no way any objective person can say he was a problem last night. He was the better of the two quarterbacks on the field, and that's saying a lot. Um, Dallas did not lose because of Dak Prescott. Uh, if you want to argue that, again, I welcome it. I, I'm waiting to hear the, uh, the reasons why that is, other than you just went in doubt, just blame him. Um, they were in position to win largely because of Dak Prescott. They really were. Uh, they lost by inches, and they lost because Philadelphia just knows what they're doing. It just works out for them. So, no, he wasn't the problem. Overreaction. Texas, your Longhorns are on their way to the Final Four. Reality. Not only is that a stretch, Texas doesn't deserve it. If they get there, they get there. 
And it's going to have to go a long way. Texas will have to go a long way for me to say they deserve it. Texas didn't beat Kansas State at home in overtime. They didn't. Kansas State beat Kansas State in regulation time. And then Kansas State beat Kansas State in overtime in Austin. I cannot say enough bad things about the Kansas State-Texas game. I can't say how clunky it was, how horribly officiated it was, and how mind-numbingly stupid it was as a football art piece. I can't say enough bad things. Can Texas still get to a Final Four? Yeah. Yeah, in a weird way, they can. I don't know how you could argue they deserve it because they – they pretty much lost at home, except Kansas State is dumb beyond belief. Uh, okay, so if Texas gets beat in that game, which they should have, multiple times, by the way, it's like they should have lost three or four times in about a six-minute period. If Texas ends up getting beat in that game, the conversation today, the rest of the week, the rest of the year is completely different. But the takeaway will be the scoreboard, and the scoreboard will say, in the end, they went, quote, a thriller. I'll call it clunky. You call it a thriller. Uh, Texas melted down. They should have lost. Uh, They're up 24-7. I don't know who you are. If you're going to be a Final Four team, you're up 24-7 at home. You probably should win. Uh, But they really should have lost about three or four times. The only thing worse than the quality of play in Texas v. Kansas State was the unwatchable, again, replay process. It is, it's awful. It's awful. How many times have I suggested, first of all, the college game itself, the way it looks, the way it flows, the way it, the way it plays out is, is brutal. It's brutal to watch. But that interview, that replay process, don't tell me you couldn't get a six-pack of beer to some engineering students and make that thing flow better. Uh, I wanted to start timing the replays and how long it took for the replays and for someone to stare in the screen and to replay. I mean, whatever all was going on, but even that became too difficult. We'll lose concentration. It's maddening how long the reviews took. It's maddening how long the reviews take in college football in general. This game was given to Kansas State and they had the worst kicking moments, collectively, you will ever see. You can't go to a Pop Warner game. You couldn't go to your kid's junior high game and see worse kicking moments than you saw from Kansas State. And then, that was only outdone by a shockingly boneheaded attempt to win the game in overtime. I feel oftentimes when I watch some of these, I feel dumber. I feel like I'm getting dumber. I'm losing football IQ points. And then when Kansas State, who was snapping balls or hitting guys in the face, snap-hooking 27-yard field goals, and then for some insane reason, and I'll call it an insane reason, a coach who really only owning the fourth quarter of the game decides to go for it on fourth and four, I, I don't even know what game this is. I don't know what charts. I don't know who gets inside the head of these coaches that told them to do these stupid things. If I hear one more person with a microphone, in particular with a microphone, if I hear one more person say 
This is the phrase of every single Saturday now. Okay? I really like the aggressiveness. I bet you I could find a clip of 400 different hosts. Ah, 400. That's a little excessive. Let's say 14. All day, people with microphones say, when it's an idiotic call, okay, it's an idiotic call. I, I promise you there were people with microphones after the Kansas State sideline decided on fourth and four. Decided to do some kind of weird drop back pass thing that went sideways. I will promise you some meathead said, I really like the aggressiveness. My head explodes. My head explodes. You know what? I like the aggressiveness. That's the term of every Saturday now. I like the aggressiveness is code for that's an idiotic decision. Like if I hear it, I think, well, that means that's stupid. That's what that means. I like the aggressiveness means you're going to lose. That's what it means. Kansas State left at least seven points on the table in the final, what, six and a half to eight minutes on comical kicking situations. I mean comical. Um, And then it got worse when their coach decided to do that thing. I don't know, like somebody's yelling in his ear. I like the aggressiveness, coach. Do it. Go for it. Blow it. Lose. Do something stupid, coach. The Kansas State coach decided to do the I like the aggressiveness thing, which means something stupid was going to happen. When they line up to snap at the four, I'm thinking to myself once again, I don't even understand this game. I don't understand what's going on with these people. You get paid a lot of money. You shouldn't get paid a lot of money to ruin what should have been an easy win. But you did. So let me break down the stupidity here because I will challenge anyone, I dare anyone, to tell me why it's a good decision on fourth and four and a half in overtime in a game in which you own the final 20 minutes of that game. Own it. Texas is going nowhere. You own that game. I dare someone to tell me that's a wise decision. I really do. So, okay, so I'll break down why I believe it is stupid other than it didn't work, okay? Um, In overtime, for no reason whatsoever, this is Kansas State I'm talking about. This game was about Kansas State. It wasn't about Texas. Texas melted down. Texas blew it. Texas disappeared after quarter and a half. They basically said, you're in our stadium and you probably need to go ahead and beat us. And Kansas State said repeatedly, we're about to beat you. Oh, crap, we screwed up again. Kansas State beat Kansas State multiple times. Okay, so why fourth and four in overtime on the road is stupid? Hmm. Okay, so you have no reason to go for it at that point. Okay? Um, the ball starts at the 25 in overtime which, by the way, is stupid itself. That's an idiotic concept for settling a game. So Texas, like they did the entire second half, two and a half quarters at least, uh, went nowhere fast and was forced to kick a field goal. By the way, they're field goal kicker because that's what these things often turn into is kicking contests. Burt Auburn is the reason why they're still being talked about as a Final Four team. He's the only reason why they won on Saturday. He actually can function kicking. Kansas State can't function 
almost at all. Okay, he was money. He won Texas the game. So he converts a field goal after Texas goes nowhere fast, just like they had the entire second half. Kansas State cruises down the field, gets inside the five, blah, 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 right? And then they end up, Texas does a, uh, has a good stop. It's fourth down and four, maybe close to five, and they decided to go forward and do some sort of pathetic deep drop back thing where the guy fell backwards and was tackled. Okay, now I dare you to tell me why that was a good decision. So you go ahead, you try it, because I'm going to tell you why it's a stupid decision. You kick the field goal there because um, you get a new set of downs. That's why you do it. So you get to play again. You get to try again. And you know why that's really important in that game for Kansas State? Why their decision was stupid? They own that game. All they need is more downs. All they need is more time. Just like they had done the final 20 minutes, they owned that game. Texas is going nowhere. They're a non-factor. So, okay, so you screwed up a couple downs. Convert the 96% extra point. And I'm saying 96% only because the Kansas State guy sucks. Everybody else is 99%, but 96 gives you a chance for a new set of downs. And you know what? If you're thinking you're a coach, you're looking at the game in total. You're looking at the last 15 minutes in total, and you're thinking, all right, okay, okay, we settle for three. Okay, but I like our chances with another set of downs because we own these guys. We're going places. They're not going places. So you do the logical thing, and you try to get a new set of downs. That's a smart decision to make. Instead, blah, running around like it's a Three Stooges. Converting that field goal at easily 95 to 96%. I know they had been idiotic. I know they had been comical in the kicking game, but it's a better chance than fourth and five. You had a good chance, you fools. You're fools. I, mean, I don't know what else to say. I don't know how players could do this. I'm thinking, I, I don't even know. I'd have to go sit down underneath the bench and curl up in a ball. I don't know what kind of system this is. Nobody plays like this, but yet every Saturday I see teams play like this. You're fools. You're fools to gamble. And that's what it is. You're dominating your opponent. Why gamble? Converting the field goal is your best chance for a new set of downs to win. Okay? Nobody watching that game, nobody watching that game thinks Texas is going to win on a new set of downs. In fact, most people watching that game would say, best case scenario, they kick a 42-yard field goal after they go nowhere. All Kansas State needed was another set of downs. There's no logical reason to go for it on fourth and four when you don't have to. There is no logic. No metric tells anyone to do that. It doesn't exist. If it does, please tell me especially when you've owned the last 15 minutes, really 20 minutes of that game. Uh, Overreaction. Malik Murphy has earned and won the starting quarterback job for Texas. Reality. Hmm. No. Mm -mm. As he went against Kansas State, so went Texas. I think that's the way, I think that's the way it played. He was lights out to start the game. He goes, what, 7 of 9 in the first quarter? He had 162 yards in a quarter. And I'm watching that thinking, okay, now this guy's 
The game is slowing down for him. He's getting some reps. Look out. Here's the talent. Here's the talent. After going 7 of 9, he went 12 of 28 with two picks. And here's what's ridiculous. This is how Texas was just stuck in quicksand. They had no answer. After he goes 7 of 9, 12 of the completions averaged three yards. Three. He was awful after the first quarter. Really was. Did Steve Sarkeesian think about pulling Malik Murphy? He probably did. And I, I'm sure you can make, I, I don't know. I, don't, I, I would argue against yanking him because I don't think you can throw a complete rookie, Arch Manning, in that position. And I know, I know Texas was awful, but you got a run game. You got a guy that's played some snaps. Uh, you got a guy that you've already watched. You can't unsee the first quarter. Think about that. So Steve Sarkeesian is there. I'm going to defend him on this decision by saying he saw that first quarter. Right, now you're going to say, well, but Jeff, you can't unsee the final three quarters. True. Uh, does Malik Murphy have the job until Quinn Ewers takes it back? <sighs> yeah, probably. And it's yeah, probably because it doesn't really matter because they're playing nobody the rest of the way. Um, is there an argument that Malik Murphy has played himself out of the rotation and Arch Manning should get a shot? Yeah, there's an argument for that. I, I, I can see it. I can, I can see. I, I think it's a little tough, but I could see that argument. Um, whoever plays, though, because I think it'll be Malik Murphy, and I think it's probably the prudent call. Whoever plays, they get a pretty easy rest of the way on the Texas schedule. In fact, very easy rest of the way on the Texas schedule. There are awful teams down the stretch, and Texas could run the ball all day long against the competition they have down the stretch. But whenever Quinn Ewers is healthy enough to play again, the job is his again, I would assume. And it's probably the right call. Overreaction. I might have said this. Nick Saban is washed up, and he's headed to retirement. Games passed him by. Crabby old guy. He's the Bill Belichick. Sorry, bud, you're old and you don't get the game anymore. Nick Saban has lost it. Reality. This season is going to go down as one of his better coaching jobs of the last 10 years. And that's saying a lot. I don't know how much, you know, Texas fans have got to love this. Texas has to love this because the more Alabama wins, and they are, the better it makes Texas look. Since their offense, the Alabama offense, looked completely lost against Texas in September, they've won seven in a row, and a quarterback that should have been pulled against Texas, I'm shocked that he wasn't. He was absolutely awful and clueless against Texas. Uh, Jalen Milrow is... He looks like a different player. Doesn't even look like the same guy. It's, it's pretty remarkable. Uh, Texas beat him by 10 on the road, and, and he was an absolute mess at quarterback. He really was. Now, Alabama rolls LSU. By the way, I believe that LSU joins USC as the two biggest disappointments of the season. I didn't see LSU doing this. Uh, I thought they were better than that. But Alabama rolls them, beats them by 14, and Jalen Milrow, their quarterback, who you saw against Texas, was horrible. 
Okay, he he was a train wreck against Texas. He threw for 219 yards and ran for 163. No picks. If Alabama and Texas were to play today, is there anybody that doesn't paint their face that would pick Texas right now? Really? <laughs> anybody pick Texas? It is a, you know, it's give it to Saban. Um, give it to him. I, that looks like a different team. It looks like a different player. His gut instinct was to stick with the guy even though he was a wreck. He then tried to swap quarterbacks. out. Somehow, somehow they fixed it. Somehow they fixed it going through the season. And they look like a slick team. They look like a smarter team. They're not the mess they were a year ago. They weren't the mess they were in a bunch of penalties against Texas. It's just a much, much better team. And yeah, they were to play Texas... Two days from now, they beat him and beat him pretty easily. Jeff Ward, weekdays on 102.7 ESPN. Way to go, Smoker Voice. All right, on Twitter or X or whatever we call it now. It's at Jeff Ward Show. Here we go. Remember, I'm daring anyone to tell me why you go for it on fourth and four in overtime. Daring you. I'll fight you. <laughs> it's so bizarre to me, I'm almost fascinated by it. And if you say, I like the aggressiveness, I'm going to scream at you, too. Uh, here we go, at Jeff Ward's show. I don't know about you, but I felt angry after watching the UT game. I felt like I just watched a burning hot dumpster on fire. Then I see the Eagles try to give the game away to the Cowboys multiple times, infuriating football. Uh, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to disagree as a football scientist myself uh, who has no feelings whatsoever, and I just stare at it like art. I found the Cowboys-Eagles game fascinating. I found it compelling. I found it really well played. The Texas-Kansas State game is, it, I feel like it sets the game back like 30 years, but then I watch other college games and they look just as crappy. Um, you know, here's the thing. I don't know about angry. I, I'm not, I didn't find myself getting angry at Texas because they just disappeared. I found myself thinking, Wait, I forgot about Texas. They're, they're playing, aren't they? Or are they just like, oh, the locker room? Kansas State should be angry. Texas fans should just be meh. Texas didn't really do anything wrong. They just didn't do anything right again. They just didn't play. They didn't show up. They were gone. They were non-factor. They really did say, man, Kansas State is cruising up and down the field. They're going to win this game unless Kansas State beats Kansas State in regulation. Then they cruise down the field in overtime, a stupid overtime setup of putting the ball at the 25, which is just ridiculous to me. Football's not divided into fourths, by the way. But either way, then you think, well, Texas is going to beat Kansas State unless Kansas State beats Kansas State in overtime. And they did. So I don't even know. I didn't even think about Texas again after about the first 17 minutes. At Jeff Ward's show, the brotherly shove is so unstoppable and they have such confidence in it, they ran it from their own end zone late in the game to get breathing room. I don't understand how more teams don't master that play. Is it because of injury risk? <laughs> well, you know what? I hate that play, and I think I've probably ranted enough about it that I think it needs to be outlawed and I think it will be but that said it is pretty fascinating he's right Philadelphia is on their one foot line 
Next thing you know, they're on their one. They're on the four. <laughs> it's. I am amazed that people can't stop it, and I'm even more amazed nobody else can do it. It really is. It's like, I don't know, like they sneak a separate dude in there or something. Um, I don't know why it works so well for Philadelphia, and no one else can do anything. I mean, I thought about it at the time. In fact, I was when they lined up on the goal line to do this, they're three for three in the red zone, by the way. Um, and I suspect that... There isn't anyone even close to Philadelphia in terms of fourth down conversions. I, I, hell, they might be 100%. I don't know. But I'm staring at them line up, and I'm thinking, huh. Now, Dallas, I mean, this is professional football. These people study a lot. I mean, they know everything. This is not a surprise to them. Oh, my gosh, they went four yards. It's not like a one-foot thing. They go a long way. Jalen Hurts in that pile, next thing you know, he's four to five yards down the field. So, I don't know. I don't know if they have sumo coaching. I don't know if it's judo. I don't know what it is. But no one can stop it. And no one can do it. And I don't know why. I don't know. I don't know. I I don't like it. I, I don't. I don't think it's... Look, I've already argued before. A ball carrier is not making a player miss and advancing the ball. The ball carrier is in a mosh pit. A good mosh pit, a strong mosh pit. It may be that the center, Jason Kelsey, who is just a ridiculously good player, I, I don't know. He's he's super athletic. I don't know if you've ever seen him downfield and stuff. You go, oh, my God, it's a 320-pound guy moving around like he's 190. Um, maybe, maybe he's the reason. I, I don't know. I don't have an answer. I've thought about it, too. I've thought about why can't. It's not like Dallas has a bunch of weak guys. I know the argument would be, well, you can't sub in, you can't substitute in, you know, your goal line defense, but that's not true because teams are. I mean, they're the one foot line. It's not like Dallas was in some sort of nickel defense. They were ready. They had the people they wanted out there. And oh, there goes that green pile. Five more yards. Question. What if they just did it over and over again? Seriously, what if Philadelphia lined up and they went, shove, get back on the ball, shove? How many first downs could they get doing it every play? Honestly, I really think they could go, I think they go 50, 60 yards doing it. Not in one play, but those three to four yard chunks, I think they could get multiple first downs. I think you could argue, I think they might be able to chew up the clock to end the game just by running that play over and over again. Right? And you've seen it enough. I'm not sure. I mean, tell me I'm wrong, but you've seen it enough. They get, they get big chunks every time they do it. And, I mean, he even has a bad knee, and it works. And I know he's a strong guy. And he's athletic and all that stuff. I mean, I know that's part of it. It's not like Dak Prescott is a tiny person himself. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty remarkable. Um, I don't know that I've ever want to hear a lecture on the brotherly shove, but I would kind of like to figure out like a diagram why it is those guys are so much better at shoving people than everyone else. At Jeff Ward Show, my overreaction or reality? Texas will go into the conference championship with the second best record in the conference. Then they will lose to Oklahoma State in the championship. 
I'm putting it on a sticky note. All right, well, it's only official if it's on a sticky note in here with the other sticky notes, including the one that I'm staring at right here, where I got to text Ed Clements and say, crack. I just text crack, because that's because Washington beat USC by double digits. And I told him he was on crack for picking USC, so I text him crack. And then about two hours later, I find out USC fired the defensive coordinator as if this game was any different than every other game they play in. It seems less like a defensive coordinator problem and more kind of a head coach thing. Just saying. It seems to be kind of a consistent trend that for all the $100 million that you give Lincoln Riley, you know you're going to play flag football. And I knew in a flag football game they couldn't keep up with Washington. At Jeff Ward Show, did it look like Dak was on his way to the end zone as the first and goal from the five play developed? I only got one look walking past an airport bar, but it seemed to me that false start cost them the game. Yeah. um, I don't know if I could say any one thing cost Dallas. I really don't. I mean, you got a touchdown that ends up after review. Did you notice how one of the most important reviews of the NFL season took about 45 seconds? A college game in which some obscure thing in the first quarter takes 15 minutes. But Dallas was six inches from the goal line for a touchdown. Dak Prescott was two inches out of bounds going for two uh, on, a, on a really a, just a, a gutty play on his part. Just showed you how athletic he still is. Uh, I, I don't, I'll be honest, I don't find much fault in what Dallas did the whole night. I really don't. I mean, they go, they outplayed Philadelphia. They're the better team for the run of play. They're the better team. Philadelphia has that thing where they're going to close. They're going to close. Their defense is so smart and so solid that they're going to close. That is the only difference between those two teams. So I, I'd have to work pretty hard to find much fault with Dallas that night. I certainly can't find any fault with Dak Prescott. You know, they ended up having the same amount of penalties. Dallas is one of the most penalized teams in the NFL. Philadelphia is one of the least, if not the least, penalized team in the NFL. They ended up with the exact same number. Dallas outgains them by 100 and something. Right? Um, Dallas averaged almost six yards a play, which is unheard of in the NFL, and not win. I don't, I don't, I can't find the thing. I can't, I can't find the thing Dallas did wrong, but I can find the thing that Philadelphia does right. And they just close. You look up and go, ah, oh, they won. Notice how that happens pretty often. They just close. Jeff Ward, weekdays on 102.7 ESPN. Shut up, smoker voice. Uh, here's a quick, I need to do this periodically. I, I feel obligated as uh, one of only four people that have been in Austin for more than 20-something years. I grew up here, so I feel the obligation to sort of give you context and history every now and then because pretty much nothing is the same. So I do think you can, everyone can appreciate this. So there was a fairly large protest. Uh, these protests now are nothing like they used to be when Austin really was weird and uh, people would chain themselves to trees and stuff like that or fight you over a salamander. Uh, really weird days. Now it's, it's just meh. But 
here is the history lesson for you. So if, you, if you've wondered, you know, I've come from other cities, come from other big cities. Why does yours have no real planning at all? Why does Austin seem like it's uh, like 25 years ago in terms of infrastructure and roads? Why does Austin, why is it so hard to get around? It doesn't seem very logical. All fair points. What happened over the weekend is the very reason why. So I can't say it was a, is it a plan, but there's been no effort to be a bigger city in 30 years. In other words, nobody really wanted it to get bigger. So nobody really did anything to create any sort of infrastructure for it to get bigger. And nobody really wants a road near their backyard. The philosophy has always been in Austin. Yeah, yeah, we need that, but not here. Over there is cool, not here. So there's a plan to for connection of an I-35. Yeah, it's probably 30 years too late. Should have been done a long time ago. Austin is built like it's a city for 350000 when it's really probably pushing a couple million. It's not accidental. So you see this protest over the weekend. I, I'm not saying... I don't know if they're right or wrong. I'm just saying this is a classic example of why stuff doesn't really happen here. Um, And that is not in my neighborhood. So there's a protest of the expansion of I-35 to connect I-35. It's, uh, you know, it's just more roads, more roads. You say more roads here for people, the few people that do show up to vote, which is less than, what, 8% or something like that. The few people that do show up to vote are going to say no every time. No, no. Yeah, we need more roads. You're just not going to put one near me. Go put one over there. and I'm cool with it. That's the way it's always been. So just so you know, this I-35 connecting thing that has been approved and it's $24 billion and construction is set to start in 2024, which means it'll be finished in 85 years. Um, it, it's, it's, the fight is, yeah, we need it. Yeah, we don't really have any sort of road infrastructure that makes any sense whatsoever. No, we are we're built like a city for 350 for 2 million. All that stuff is true and everyone owns it, but they're then going to say not here. Not here. Nope. Not here. Screw off. It's a great idea, you're just not going to do it here. The classic Austin thing. Now, the difference now is the people saying not here, it's going to happen anyway. It used to be not here, and if not here was central Austin, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. Nowadays, since most people that live here don't really care, um, it'll happen. It'll happen 85 years, but it will happen. In the past, a long time ago, when people actually protested because people you know, actually were from here, um, a protest worked. It did. Noise worked. And what noise did historically in Austin was stop anything from happening. (laughs) Like, it's okay. Forget it. Let's go about our way and you'll have to go. There's no way to go east-west. You're just going to have to go around. The reason? People said not here. All right, 512-834-1027. Make sure you check out the Jeff Ward Show podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.